Uh, if you can be seated. This morning we reached our penultimate study, exploring Peter's first letter to the congregations found in Asia Minor. So please take out your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And having wrapped up what he wanted to teach his audience about suffering as a saint, the apostle now presents those characteristics of, of people called to lead and people called to follow in the body of Christ. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So let me remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. It's more accurate and applicable to our daily lives than our morning news feed, to update it for an old one. So, yes, this is the word of God, as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 5. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God stands forever for which we are very thankful. So let's, let's pray now and ask his blessing. Our Father and our King, we come before you this morning with a simple prayer, that you would be present with us through your Holy Spirit, and that you would open our mind and our hearts to your word. May you be glorified in our midst today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, saints, I want to begin this morning with a simple but I think vitally important question. What's the church? What's the church? Is it simply a building with a steeple and a cross? A structure with special tinted glass in the windows and a pulpit up front? Is that all it is? Or is the church something deeper, more profound? Bricks and mortar, wood and paint are all great, aren't they? They're all essential parts of a sturdy building. But brothers and sisters, they aren't how God refers to his chosen people in the scriptures, are they? You see, the body of Christ isn't a building at all. It doesn't have a physical location. There's no address you can look up on Google Maps or Apple Maps. No, the church is people. Common, ordinary folks. Men and women, boys and girls, just like us. Crossing lines of race of age, of educational attainment, of marital status, of economic class and physical health, all called together 
by the God of the universe. And interestingly, when our Heavenly Father brings people together into a body, into a congregation, He gives each one of us a role, a part to play in the group. And these tasks are based on our natural talent, talent as well as our spiritual gifts, those abilities which we receive from God the Spirit at our rebirth, when we were born again. And those gifts continue to be empowered by Him today. And here in 1 Peter, the apostle describes the people that God uses to build his church. And as we'll be reminded in our study this morning, since we've been particularly adopted, individually chosen by our Heavenly Father to be his children, we're called to do life together. We're called to be the living bride of Christ. And we carry out this, this mission sacrificially by, by willingly and, and lovingly serving one another using the spiritual gifts we've been given to be a blessing. So may our Savior grant us both the wisdom to understand and the power to live according to His grand calling. Let's begin by unpacking the Apostles' concluding exhortation by exploring the servant leadership of Christ's elders. Now, beloved of God, the Bible's teaching here is quite evident. All who are called to minister to the body and leadership must follow the example of our suffering servant. That's the overarching thing we need to take away. Peter reminds us of this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now I want you to notice something. The plea here isn't merely to be willing to take on an added task in the church, is it? This is an invitation for eagerness, for desire to shoulder the burden and responsibility of setting direction for the flock of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it, we also ensure the, the congregational spiritual and physical needs are being met. See, saints, the truth is, church leadership is a heavy weight to carry. Why? Because souls are at stake. Your souls, not to put too fine a point on it. Eternity is in view, or it should be in our view. And if it weren't for our good shepherd leading the way, well, the honest truth is the task would be greater than any of us could bear. Now, friends, this is one reason why Nathan and Stanley and I covet your prayers. Don't we, guys? So what should you be praying for us? Well, let me give you just a couple of ideas. I want you to ask the Lord to grant us wisdom. Wisdom that only God can give. Remember, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask for it. Well, I lack wisdom. I need it. So pray for it, please. That God would give us an extra measure of discernment that, that we might understand and follow the path that He's called us to follow. Pray for our families. The ongoing spiritual warfare we all face. As those who willingly choose to lead, we're, we're targets of the evil one. Let's just leave it at that. Um, pray that God's will will be done here in Sparta in the Upper Cumberland as it is in heaven. And most of all, pray that our triune God, that our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be glorified in every choice and everything we do and everything we don't do. 
Those are our requests. We also want you to know that we are praying for each one of you. That's something we covenanted to do before we even started the church. And something we continue to do now. So if you have any special needs about which we don't know, let us know. We can't read minds. We're not good at that. I'm not good at that. They may be great at it. I'm not very good at it. So um, just let us know so we can do that. Well, having covered their willingness for the task, Peter now discusses the servant leadership of those called to be elders. And he presents two critical categories for leaders in their ministry. Now, first, the apostle discusses the elders' fellowship with Christ's suffering and glory. And you're thinking, well, okay, how does that work? What does that look like? How does this demonstrate the work of an elder? Well, I think the best way to explain this is I want, you, I want to invite you to take a short step back with me into redemptive history so that we get a broader view. We understand really what's going on. Um, so we're going to look at Jesus' life. And following his ascension, the apostles were tasked with what? Well, they were served as eyewitnesses, right? They were ambassadors of the king. Those tasked with telling about his message, his life to the rest of the world. So Peter and Andrew, James and John, Paul and all the rest of them traveled around proclaiming the gospel. They taught the meaning behind the suffering and glory that they had observed firsthand in Christ's life. And our Heavenly Father, working through the Holy Spirit, also gave these men some unique gifts, didn't he? They had the ability at times to do miraculous signs. So at different occasions and in different circumstances, they, they healed the lame. They gave sight to the blind. They were even able to speak languages that they'd never learned. How come? Well, all of these spiritual abilities were given to them to attest to the truth of what they were preaching. It proved to their audience that what they were saying was real, and it was true. Well, on top of that, as Peter reminds us, well, he himself was a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So don't forget your history, saints. Remember, the apostle had seen our Lord suffer in prayer, hadn't he? He'd been one of the three to be taken aside in Gethsemane, where Jesus sweat drops of blood in his intercession. He also saw from afar the physical suffering the Lord endured on Calvary's cross. No, he wasn't right there at, at the side like John was, but he did watch. And not to mention his presence with both James and John, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where they observed firsthand His divine glory revealed for all to see. And so through his message, Peter was preparing his fellow elders, those he served with currently all the way to today, to bear our witness for Christ by embodying the same gospel that he preached in our lives in our words. And that call remains on us today, doesn't it? So brothers and sisters, we share in Christ's tribulations as we proclaim the good news of our suffering Savior. And we also get a foretaste of His eternal glory as we look forward to what's to come, that glorious second coming when He comes with the angels of heaven to judge the living and the dead.
as we, as we actually confess this morning. And that's just one way that the leaders of Christ's flock share in our Savior's suffering and His glory too. Now secondly, Peter records the elders' charge to shepherd the flock. From verse 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Well, reading that, we can't help but wonder what's involved in caring for the people of God. And the apostle begins by reminding these men that elders must have the calling of a shepherd before they can actually be overseers. If you're not called to the work, don't do the work. Because you won't be able to do the work in God's way. Now, biblically, a shepherd is simply someone who is entrusted with the responsibility to watch over God's people. To provide for the spiritual and the physical needs of the members of the body. That's, that's the job description. Moses, Samuel, David, Peter are just a few of the biblical examples of this kind of committed servant leadership. A task that's demonstrated today by those the Lord appoints to tend for those he entrusts to our care. So not only do we find leaders calling, but the apostle also includes the method of a shepherd. The method of a shepherd. So we're called to be shepherds of God's flock, not because we must, but because we're willing, as God wants us to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not loitering over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So what's involved in being a willing overseer, a faithful servant of Jesus' bride? Well, church and elders' first responsibility is to care for the flock. Pretty simple, isn't it? means we look out for the spiritual well-being of the people God has entrusted to our care, assigned to our attention. Now, thankfully, the Lord's given us powerful tools to help with that task. Do you know what they are? Well, you do, of course. They're the ordinary means of grace. The regular channels of strengthening our faith in His promises. Those things we've talked about over and over again, things like worship and prayer and fellowship in the regular preaching and teaching of God's Word. Remember what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And do you remember why he used that phrase? He used that phrase because the devil was tempting him because he was starving. He just spent 40 days in the desert not eating. And what's the most important thing to him? Feeding on the Word of God, not feeding on bread. You see, it's only through regular reading and teaching from the Bible that a congregation will be adequately nourished. And this care must extend beyond the pulpit ministry of the church, brothers and sisters. You see, the truth is, if you're not involved in regular, systematic study of the Scriptures beyond your attendance here each week, you are missing out. In fact, I'm going to tell you you're spiritually starving. Now, how can I say that? Well, because it's impossible to be adequately fed in 75 minutes a week. Just impossible. Let's do the math, okay? We're going to do some math this morning. Do you know how many minutes there are in a normal week? There were 10,080 minutes in seven days. So if 75 minutes is all you devote, that is less than 1% of your time. So what are you doing with the other 99% to help you grow? 
in grace. Your spiritual health, your future depend on growing to maturity in Christ. And if you need any suggestions, I am happy to help. I can give you all sorts of resources. Y'all have seen my bookshelves. I got stuff to give everybody. Give them Kathy wants me to give them all away, so I'll give them all to you guys. <laughs> um, well, not only is it the elders' duty to look after the needs of God's people, but we're also concerned with the protection of the congregation. And in Acts 20, you remember that Paul met for the last time with the leaders of the Ephesians church. And during his conversation with them, the apostle charged the men to keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. And, and why was this oversight necessary? Well, here's what Paul said. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Well, you know, protection is not only important in the church, it's, a, it's one of our fundamental needs as human beings. Think of it this way, okay? Every appliance you've ever bought, every tool, every electronic gadget we have, what does it come with? It comes with a instruction manual, doesn't it? A list of instructions about how to use it properly so that you don't get hurt. I mean, we need to be protected, don't, don't we? Sometimes from ourselves, we need to be protected. Well, thankfully, God's given us an instruction manual, hasn't he? I'm not going to share the, the numbers. They're too, they're too depressing um, about the number of people who claim to be Christians who read their Bible each week, but it is pathetically small. And thankfully... That's not all God has given us. He's given us himself, hasn't he? In Christ, through the Spirit. He's the source of our security and protection. That's part of the reason we read the 23rd Psalm this morning. Hear from a little farther in it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why not? For you are with me. God is there by our side no matter what we are going through. And we that is something we can trust and take our, with it to the bank with us. God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And as under shepherds of Christ, it's the elders' responsibility to know us, to know us individually, so that we're aware of our weaknesses. We know the areas where everybody in this, in this body struggles to keep God's commands. We also have to be mindful of the societal wolves that are surrounding us, that threaten to undo us. You know, the wolves of materialism, of pluralism, the, the wolves of over-sexualized nature of our culture. We're sexualizing children, for goodness sakes. These things threaten our spiritual, our emotional well-being all the time. But in order to do this well, elders have to be involved, right? We have to be involved in people's lives. We have to, and we have to have people who are open and honest with us. You see, accountability is the key here. And true accountability only takes place in the context of relationship, right? Personal relationships. We've got to know each other. So now you know why we make corporate fellowship such a big deal in Emmanuel. 
That's how we get to know each other. It's how we grow together as God's people. Well, not only do shepherds care for and protect the flock, but we're also charged with the discipline of the members. Hey, there's a word we all love, right? Discipline, woohoo! That's where we get discipleship, which is a good thing. But let's be honest, discipline's not a word that's viewed very favorably in our society. But beloved, it is a word that is crucial to the life and health of the body of Christ. Now, Matthew 18 gives us excellent instructions about how we go about Restoring those who have fallen into sin, some transgression of God's word. There our Lord says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. Now, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Sometimes elders have to get involved in the matters of discipline. It's just one of the job descriptions. And when they do, they're called to follow this path, the path we just read from Matthew's Gospel. And I want you to remember something. Discipline is never about punishment. Not ever. Biblical discipline seeks to bring about restoration. It seeks to bring about healing. It seeks to honor our Savior by doing what's right, even when it's hard so that we heal those relationships that have been distorted by sin. So, what can we do to help the elders in, their, in, in this job? Well, first, we can actually implement the steps given in God's Word in our lives and our relationships within the body. Not only within the body, but with everybody. These are just good words to live by. Remember, we're all sinful people, right? And unfortunately, there are going to be times that we sin against one another. It just happens. Don't mean to, we do. But before you go and complain to somebody else because somebody's sinning against you, go directly to the person with whom you're having the problem. That's how you settle these things. That's how nobody else needs to know what ever happened in the first place. That's where you clear the air. That's where you get restoration. For beloved, if the matter's not important enough for you to obey God, it's not important enough for you to tell anybody else about it either. Second, we need to remember, we've all been extended grace, right? Our Heavenly Father has given us the gift of faith. Well, we need to be gracious people too. Extending grace to one another to forgive and to move forward together. Well, the final behavior of a true shepherd We'll look at, is there guidance of the body? Guidance of the body. Providing direction for the local church is probably one of the things that comes first to your mind when you think of shepherd. And we come by that naturally. Uh, back to the uh, passage we looked at this morning for our meditation. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are all leading things, right? Those are all guiding things. Making decisions about what matters, those matters that concern the entire congregation, is one of the vital tasks of a church leadership, the church session. 
And we have the essential obligation under the guidance of God, the Spirit, as well as the ministry, His ministry among us, to set vision, to determine priorities, to, to write policies that promote the gifts, the health of the church, to keep people safe. Now, quite frankly, all that would be beyond any of us, except for one thing. One thing. We've got the Good Shepherd, don't we? And in, the, in His Word, you know what He did? He gave us the outline for all of this stuff. Everything that we need to be the church of Jesus Christ. Not only has He told us who we are, but He's told us what we should be doing too, right? Just think of the Great Commission. What are we supposed to be doing? Making disciples of all nations, right? How do we do that? We get them involved in the church by baptizing them. That's how you get them in. Then what do you do next? You teach them everything he, to, to obey everything He taught us. See, friends, a true elder shepherd who is faithfully seeking to follow his Savior is not a cowboy. He doesn't drive the sheep like they're cattle. You've seen, you've seen old westerns, right, where they're doing cattle drives. Where are the horses with the cowboys on them? They're all behind, right, pushing everything forward. That's not how a shepherd acts. A conscientious overseer leads from the front. They guide the flock by their example. So if you see sheep being driven from behind, it's not because there's a shepherd leading them. It's because they're being chased. Chased by someone who means to do them harm. Which we'll get to in a moment. Like a ravenous lion seeking someone to devour. You see, faithful shepherds care for, they protect, they discipline, and they guide the flocks entrusted to their care by God the Spirit. Well, having discussed the proper methods employed by a shepherd in the church, let's look at what Peter tells us is the reward of a faithful shepherd. From verse 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. That will never fade away. Ooh, crown of glory, that sounds good. Now here Peter's referring to the Lord Jesus, and we can rest assured that his second advent will come, right? We are looking forward to the second coming. And when it does... Christ will come bearing gifts. Did you realize that? He will even come bearing gifts for his elders. Those who faithfully serve the kingdom as willing and eager servants of the flock. Now in Revelation 4, we, we read how those elders respond to Jesus' gift, right? Do you remember what's in Revelation 4? Amen, sister. They bow at his feet and they give it back to the king. They recognize His worth. The worth that made all of their service possible in the first place. So our may, may our good Lord help all those He's called to ministry be accurate reflections of our gracious Savior. Well, moving on then from servant leadership of Christ's elders, let's investigate Peter's teaching about the humble service of Christ's people. So even if you're not called to be a leader in the body, you are called to be a person in the body. So this applies to all of us. And you see at its heart, mutual submission is the key to the pattern of life found in the church of Jesus Christ. 
This is the core theme to which the apostle keeps returning in this, in this epistle, and one Paul reminds us of in his letter to the Ephesian church. And there he writes that all believers are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? So that is the reason behind our submission. Beloved, the truth is that as Christians, we only find real freedom, we only find genuine rest when we submit our expectations, our ideas, and our aspirations to the Holy One of Israel, the one who can do anything about all of them. And when we do that, we discover the freedom and strength to defer our own will to the will of others too. Whether that other is our spouse or our employer or our church leadership, or our God-given um, lawful civil authorities. You know, without a submissive spirit, there's a great temptation to pride and bitterness, especially when things don't go like we think they ought to go. So, dear friends, I beg you to be ever vigilant against this toxic attitude to life in the body. I have to be vigilant here, too, just to be honest with you. A little confession. Um, this is one that haunts me at times. So, um, especially bitterness. So where do we find this modest help for Christ's people? Well, first we find it in common service. In common service. As Peter writes, all of you clothe yourselves with pride. Oops, no, wait, not pride. Pride is no good. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, the apostles' call for humility in the church isn't simply a suggestion to young folks. It's a, it's a commandment for all of us, isn't it? Whether we're young or old. Why? Because true humility recognizes God's divine grace in our lives in the first place. What's the first of the beatitude? Blessed are those who are what? Poor in spirit. What is poor in spirit? It's to understand your standing before the Holy One of Israel. That we don't have any standing before the Holy One of Israel. That without His grace, we would be dead in our sins and trespasses. It remembers Paul's question to the church in Corinth when he asks, What do you have that you did not receive? And our answer is, well, nothing, right? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did? It was given to us. We have nothing about which to boast. It's a gift, right? Remember, saints, we can't make ourselves. We can't save ourselves. And but for the grace of God, we are all destined for eternal condemnation, aren't we? What we are due is eternity in the fires of hell. That's what we are owed. Knowing this truth is what compels us to consider other people's needs before our own. We remember who we are outside of Christ. And we remember what Christ has done for us. And then how can we not extend humble grace others. Indeed, may this humility be the cornerstone of everything we do here at Emmanuel. 
Well, not only do we find standard service in these verses, but we also discover generous, generous assistance for the flock of Jesus Christ in confident devotion. Confident devotion. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yes, my friends, true humility that joyfully serves others is found at God's throne, isn't it? It's found there at his right hand. Because there's our Savior. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, didn't he? And it's the remembrance of our covenant-keeping kings working salvation for us that drives us to our knees in thankful recognition of the gifts with which he has blessed us. And in God's perfect timing, when the chief shepherd is going to appear to gather his sheep from the goats, we as humble believers will be lifted up to share in his glory at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how good a day that's going to be? Yet Peter recognizes here that even as believers with this wonderful promise for the future, we still live in a fallen world, don't we? So there are going to be times when we become anxious, worried about what tomorrow holds. My dear friends, let me assure you, there is no need for anxiety or fear. Why not? Because the Lord of the universe knows us. He knows our needs intimately. He not only knows what we need, He knows when we need it. Not when we think we need it, when we actually require it. This is the same Lord who cared enough for us to send His Son to die to pay the penalty for our sins. So we can rest in confident assurance that as we cast our fears upon Him, our fears for the future, our fears for our families, our fears for our nation even, we can do so without hesitation. We know that His plans for our future and our hope are good ones, whatever those plans are. Well, the third and last area where we see the humble service of Christ's people is in victorious suffering. Wait a second, Pastor Chris. Victorious suffering? Those words don't go together. Now, I'm going to admit, victorious and suffering, the same sentence sounds a little bit off. But, as followers of Jesus Christ, that's precisely what we have to look forward to until His return, isn't it? Victorious suffering. So as we undergo these things, we're called to be self-controlled and alert. Why? Why are we called to this behavior? Because we have an enemy, don't we? An enemy named the devil. The Hasatan of the Old Testament. The adversary of our souls. Who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that's a powerful picture, isn't it? And using it, Peter reminds us about the nature of the enemy we face. He's telling us that the great accuser of God's daughters and sons is there lurking in the background, always waiting for us to open the door and to let him in. Yet even in the face of this threat, Peter writes, 
of our resistance to the forces of evil, doesn't he? Calling us to resist him, standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Yes, because of the strong foundation that we have in Jesus Christ and in the knowledge that we're not the only ones going through this, that our brothers and sisters in the faith are facing the same stuff we are, the same travails, the same tribulations. We can stand firm. We can rest in the faith against the enemy's raging storms that are always seeking to overwhelm us. Let me close this morning just as Peter closed his letter with a note of joy. So why are we saying rejoice, the Lord is king? Because we don't rejoice enough. I don't rejoice enough. But saints, we can rejoice in our assurance of future blessings, even in the face of current suffering. For the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's his promise to us. So to him be power forever and ever. Amen. See, God's call to the glory of Christ comes through our Lord's outpoured grace, doesn't it? And our heavenly king is the God of all grace. And his grace is sufficient to meet our every need, to prevail in every situation, no matter how dire. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. Our brief type of suffering will not, it cannot turn aside God's gracious work in our lives. It cannot undo our assurance unless we let it. Why not? Because we've been individually chosen by our Father in heaven, haven't we? Hand-picked, adopted to be his daughter or son. And because we are his, we've been called to do life together as the body, the living bride of Jesus Christ. So let's join our voices with the apostle and break forth in praise to Almighty God, even as we use the spiritual gifts that he has given us to bless one another here in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen.